Sean is a fresh of breath there. He just loved chain restaurants. Matter of fact, he ate at Applebee's 12 times during the bye week. I love each and every, most of you guys. That really is still swollen, isn't it? It kind of looks like a football, actually. Thank you for that. Stitching, you got it. Thank you. Hey, D, I like donuts, baby. Let's go. Uh, Stay focused. Um, Work hard in school. You might not like school, but make sure you're working hard at school. It builds a bomb. It builds a bomb. It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to the Witty Not Funny Sports Podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Witty Nation, welcome everyone to a special episode of the Witty Not Funny Sports Podcast, the number one self rated podcast about sports entertainment and everything in between. And as always, part of the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network, go follow us at Witty Sports 716 on Twitter. Instagram and follow everything Built in Buffalo is giving you Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube at Built in Buffalo underscore. It's a takeover. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed, who has listened to us, who has listened to every piece of content the Built in Buffalo family has put out for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, uh, listeners. Since the Bills are on a buy, we thought we could use a little break here at Witty Headquarters as well. But we still wanted to give you your weekly dose of witty. So a lot of you know us from our time with Built in Buffalo and how awesome it's been. And we're extremely grateful for Dave and everyone over at BIB to to put us on their platform, to include us in their family. Cannot thank them enough and continue success for everyone moving forward. But we have been bringing the witty for a bit before joining the Built in Buffalo. Many of you might not know that. So instead of doing our typical stuff like bringing you, for example, a Packers preview where we talk about how Aaron Rodgers dates a witch or Brett Favre, the rugged jeans rapscallion that he is, or maybe how Alan Lazard's nickname is oddly neither a play on the word laser or lizard. No, we thought we'd give you a few of our finest interviews from back in the day. Really cool interviews we done on this show. That's the one great thing about podcasting is it gives you a platform to talk to people who maybe you never would reach out to before. So first up, though, ever since the inception of this podcast, ever since we started the Witty Not Funny Sports podcast, we have been on, quote, Kendall Gaskins watch. For those who don't know, Kendall Gaskins, preseason darling for Bills fans like Tony and I, Camp crush of ours, one of the first camp crushes of ours, who for some reason, despite being the best running back throughout that summer, was shockingly and unfairly cut from the final roster. But ever since that day, our watch began. Year after year, we asked ourselves, where was Kendall Gaskins? Was Kendall Gaskins back on the Bills roster? Why wasn't Kendall Gaskins back on the Bills roster? And fast forward to one shocking, fateful day on Twitter. When Kendall himself DM'd us and said, you guys are hilarious. And we didn't know what to do. Sound the alarm. This is the thing we've been asking for from the start of this podcast. Finally coming true. The man himself reached out to us. And just like many not named Jon Snow, we knew right then and there our watch had ended. So I think this is from episode 15, if I'm not mistaken. Our interview with Kendall Gaskins. Enjoy the interview former Buffalo Bill, former San Francisco 49er running back, and future, as you'll learn, 
when you listen, future godfather to Tony's firstborn child, Mr. Kendall Gaskins. Enjoy the interview. Bills fight, bills go. Come on, let's win for Buffalo. And we are back. And now we welcome to the show former Buffalo Bill, San Francisco 49er, New York Giant running back, Kendall Gaskins. Kendall, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's always great to be on uh, you know, a cool little show, man. <laughs> we really appreciate it. So a quick review just for the listeners. Six years ago, an undrafted rookie out of Richmond made his mark on the Buffalo Bills and more importantly made his mark on myself and Tony, the two fans during the preseason. <laughs> Since then... This is big time, yes. Since then, we have been hoping that you, Kendall, would return to Bill's Mafia one day. And when we decide to start this podcast, we have unofficially, officially, I guess, been on Kendall Gaskins' watch, making us the self-proclaimed number one Kendall Gaskins podcast, or fan podcast, if you will. But the twist in this story is you actually contacted us to our surprise, and I texted Tony right away, and I said, hey, we got to get Kendall on a podcast. So I just have to ask you, how did, how did you find us? Did you search Twitter? Or did someone listen to our previous podcast and let you know? Like, how did you contact us? Uh, well, I was just on Twitter the other day, and uh, I've been just trying to push out content for Game Seven. So I, I searched out my name to see if anything was kind of being put, put out there, and I actually came across your podcast. I gave it a listen, and I, you know, I, you know, I respected it, so I, I hit you guys up. So it's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Honest people working hard and you know doing doing what they love, so it was it was pretty cool experience there. Yeah, that, that's awesome, man. And Tony, when we started this podcast back in, what was it, March? I mean, I think our main goal was to get Kendall on a podcast. So this might be our last episode. I think we achieved our goal, right? <laughs> it's all done. This is the high point for us. Right? Yeah. So, that's right. So, but Kendall, we couldn't be more thrilled to have you joining us. So, I guess I just wanted to start for the listeners by going all the way back to your high school career, where it all started. As listeners may not know, you were all state captain for your high school team, and you obviously put up impressive running back numbers. That's what you made your career out of. But you also got some stats on the defensive side of the ball, I read. And I was wondering, did you ever think about switching to defense on a permanent basis? you know making tackles instead of getting tackled all the time it's actually pretty interesting because uh richmond was probably one of the only schools that wanted me to play on the offensive side of the ball a lot of i mean other schools that wanted me kind of weren't sure if i was going to play the wheel linebacker or the hybrid fullback tailback but i just chose richmond because you know they had uh, tim hightower and then josh Vaughn, both of who which went to the league and uh, they just had, like, they saved away for, like, big backs at Richmond. So I, I just felt like, and they were coming off the national championship. So I was like, running back is cool. But it's actually funny, when I got to San Fran, we were actually really loaded one year in that backfield. And Jim Tom Sula, I was playing special teams, and I'm, I pride myself on being a physical player. And he joked one time, he was like, man, only if you were a linebacker, and kind of gave me a look. <laughs> and uh, looking back now, I was like, was, was that him trying to ask me if I wanted to play linebacker? <laughs> but, uh, 
But yeah, so it was after a game in the preseason where I came downhill and kind of blew up a block. So, you know, he asked me, but nothing really came of it. <laughs> yeah, just I think it goes as a testament to your skill set that, you know, you're seeked out to put both sides of the ball. I mean, and what you guys are saying also has to do a lot with, I think, where Kendall was probably seen and valued in that draft. Towards the end of it, to have like a unique skill set, but also a skill set that plays well to special teams and to, you know, answer the range acquisition. So, we know you had a pretty good career at Richmond. Can you just kind of walk us through that transition in the NFL, being an undrafted free agent, how many other teams were interested in you, what made you ultimately uh, come to Buffalo and figure that was the right fit for you? Yeah, so uh, I actually had a couple of teams contact me, Oakland Raiders, Jets. The Oakland Raiders actually told me they were going to draft me, but it didn't work out. So I got a call after the draft, and it was the Bills, and it was Tyrone Wheatley, and that once again was it was pretty big for me because you know as a, a, a one cut kind of downhill guy and that's someone I watched growing up as well even though you know it was later in his career because he was really 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 good in the early 90s I got to catch him when my IQ was getting up there when he was later in his career with the Raiders but just to, to get a call from a legend like that hear how he respected my game hearing his idea of what he wanted to the situations he wanted me to put in but in there and then you know being seeing veteran guys like Fred Jackson and CJ Spiller and just our choice you know it was a pretty good choice for me sure uh, yeah especially coming into that backfield with uh, the depth of that backfield and with Tyron Wheatley in there I mean the guy was a living legend I was saying it's like that to have him as a coach yeah it was really amazing my first time in the meeting room because I'm, I'm a pretty uh, energetic person but the first time in the meeting room I was nervous as hell I'm not even gonna lie to you <laughs> just being <laughs> Sandy dudes, like you just see, like you're like, yo, this dude used to just trash people and run through all of them, and now this is my coach, and he respects what I bring to the game. So it was definitely a nerve-wracking experience, but it was also humbling to know that he respected my craft as well. Yeah. So, what part of your craft did you say Tyrone really, really contributed to during that first training camp? It's your first training camp in the NFL. It's your first case of uh, being a professional athlete. What are the big things that Tyrone really? Uh, just being a professional, also just holding my skill set and trusting what I do best as a player uh, and focusing on the things that I really do well to really take that game to the next level. Cause I remember it was one of the first padded practices and in Richmond, I, I kind of just would run through a lot of people. Because um, I actually lost about 15 pounds, and I was down about 225. Because I played around 235, 240. Because I would, when we would do 21, I would be the fullback. But then I would, when we would do single back, then I would, or we go to the spread, I would be the long back. So I weighed about 240, and then I, lo- I lost a bunch of weight. So my running style had changed a little bit. So instead of just running through, they taught me how to run through one shoulder rather than changing my running style, rather than trying to take so much hit. Because he's like, dude, everybody's strong here. So you're going to have to pick your angles and pick your leverage to be successful. So that's one thing that, you know, that really stuck with me. Yeah, that had to be that had to be quite a jump going from Richmond to the NFL, just the size and the speed of these players, right? Um, Actually, uh, I played in the, the best kind of uh, FCS conference there was. So I played with multiple pros as well, too, on yeah. my team and played against them. So the competition that we played, it, it wasn't that it was it was so much faster. It was just like everyone was good. Because right. that was the thing when we would play an FBS team. We would always compete in the first three quarters, but their depth 
would just get the better of us. Um, so, you know, when I got to the league, it, it, it was a part where I was ready for it because, you know, I, I, I played at a level like my whole career because Richmond is actually like, you know, a powerhouse in the SCS level. We talked about Tyrone Wheatley being one of your idols. Who was some of your other idols that you kind of modeled your game after growing up? Yeah, so Eddie George, Terrell Davis, and this one is going to is surprise a lot of people. I'm an Eagles fan. Uh, I grew up an Eagles fan. I'm South Jersey, so about 20 minutes from Philly. I actually really enjoyed Deuce Daly's game. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, those three sure. guys. And it's just funny hearing that. I never really realized how much of it my game that it kind of modeled because those guys had some wiggle, but those guys were mostly downhill, get you some tough, hard yards, going to pass block, really physical. So, those guys are really my idols, especially Eddie George. He's, I'm 6'2", so he's a bigger guy as well. So, it's really cool to see guys just by doing things that you really don't see a lot of people doing. Yeah, absolutely. I I actually went to Ohio State, so I've met Eddie a couple times. He's a really good guy. So, yeah. I never met him. I wish that would be like some pretty cool stuff to meet him. Maybe if we have him on a future podcast, I'll I'll hook you guys up. Yeah, please. Throw me the line. Will do. Will do. What a blockbuster show that would be. So let's, so let's talk about another, maybe not idol, but someone who I'm sure must have influenced you. Uh, because when you were in San Francisco, you showed in the locker room with current Bill, Frank Gore. He used to talk about uh, what Frank Gore brings to the team every day, what's he like in the locker room, and what kind of things that he instilled in you, as I'm sure you learned a lot from him and a veteran like that in your role in San Francisco and in his role in San Francisco. Yeah, of course. It's crazy because I actually told a story about Frank um, mm-hmm. probably like a week ago. So Frank is, even though, you know, he's a vet, so he, he isn't that talkative. Um, he'll show you more than he'll tell you. So just to see his craft over and over, him showing up to work, just the attention to details. Like one of my locker was a couple of lockers down from him. And I remember before games, he would have like 20 cleats outside of his locker. And then he would change them like five different times because <laughs> they just didn't feel right. So, like, little attention to detail, stuff like that. And then every before every practice, he will go out and do footwork drills. So my first year at San Fran, our backfield was really loaded. So it was Frank, it was Kendall Hunter, Carlos Hyde, Marcus Lattimore, myself, and then we also had Michael James for a little bit as well. So our backfield was really loaded even though some of the guys were uh, a little banged up. But he had the guys um, going out and doing footwork drills on him because he would do it before practice. And, you know, week three, then we had a couple of more people out there. By the end of the season, everyone was out there doing the little spring drills. And it just shows, like, man, this, this dude is one of the oldest backs, you know, in the league and still getting it done at a high level. It just shows that his consistency to his craft and how much, how important it is because he remains the peak remains like you know a, a very hard runner and he keeps himself in great shape yeah absolutely we love him here here in buffalo it's funny you mentioned his cleats because the bills played the patriots and the broadcast mentioned frank gore's cleats what tony like maybe 15 times <laughs> yeah it, I've, I've never seen it with adidas low-cut cleats they were either he always had like an all-white pair all uh, <laughs> black hair and then he would just switch it back and forth if he didn't like it, and I would just, I just remember just staring at it like, yo, like, what the hell is he doing? But <laughs> it, it, it worked for him because he, he performed. So, you know, that's just something, that's probably something superstitious he does. You know, he just got to feel good to play the game. But uh, whatever it is, it's working. Yeah, absolutely. Future Hall of, Hall of Famer right there. 
So we talked about we talked about the guys you played with. Let's talk about some of the coaches that coached you in the league. You mentioned Jim Tomasulo before. You obviously were coached by Doug Marone. And I want to talk about a legendary coach in Tom Coughlin when you played with the Giants a little bit. Uh-huh. We always hear these stories about Tom with him struggling with things like Siri and new phones and things like that or sitting in a dark room after losses. Did you ever experience any of those kind of funny moments with Tom Coughlin or, or anything in the locker room that you could you could tell us. Yeah, Coach Coughlin, he, he was one. He's a funny guy. He would always give one of those you know sarcasm comments where yeah. somebody banged up. He's like, "What the heck? Next time I'm gonna see you, it's gonna be damn Christmas." Or something like that. <laughs> we had a goofy running back room, so I sat next to David Wilson. And yeah. then a couple of times we would, we would sit, see him and look behind the meet, and he would hit a couple of dozes with his neck, and then wake up and. Then, <laughs> Get to look around, but then anything else, he was always sharp. But yeah, you can tell he he was a very old school coach, man. You didn't want to be late with that guy. Your pockets okay. No, absolutely not. I just remember one game, like he couldn't get the challenge flag out of his sock. So yeah, but it was definitely funny looking back and saying, "I'm like, dang, at least I know I'm not the only one that get a little tired when I see one of the head coaches." But I'm sure he had never admitted. But I, I, I've seen some proof. I got some proof that I, I see him doze off a couple of times in position. <laughs> All right, we'll keep it to this podcast. We won't let we don't let Tom Coughlin know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Kendall, what about any players? Who was like one of the funnier guys and you remember playing with or were on a team with? Uh, and what was some oh, of the funny uh, stuff they would do? Uh, this endless amount of players. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of some of the guys from Buffalo. Duke Williams was really funny. <laughs> um, extremely funny. Tashar Shorts, oh my God. He, he was one of his funny first. Like, funny, like. You never knew what was about to come out of his mouth. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, like great. Then I went to the Niners. With the Niners, we, it was a bunch of young guys. So Quentin Patton from Block Tech, he was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Tony Jafai Eddie from Texas A&M. So we, we had a lot of jokes. There's Joe Stanley, an old vet. Yeah. Um, he's one of those sarcastic, you know, funny guys that you have to check. Like, oh, okay, you just tried me. So I'm trying to figure out who else was probably the funniest. I'm a, I think I'm going to go with Quentin Patton with the funniest. <laughs> nice. Um, and, it, and to this day, I still talk with him because we still play Xbox. We, still, we play 2K together. So I get a do- daily dose of Quentin Patton every day. So, there you go. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, Kendall, you were talking before the, before we started recording that your first, your first training camp, your training camp in Buffalo, that was the first summer that I spent in Rochester being able to go to training camp every day, really being able to see players develop over the course of time, really develop my camp crushes, of, of which you were one and the number one uh, camp crush from that uh, off season. I'm looking at this league, I'm looking at our podcast being at the number one uh, Kendall Gaskins podcast on the internet. The Dolphins have a need. The Giants have a need now. Do you want us to start a social media push to get you back in this league? Do you consider yourself a free agent? Should we start to message some teams to give you a contract? <laughs> hey, man, I always live by the motto, stay ready so you don't got to get ready. So There you go. Um, I'm actually I'm in tremendous shape. feel like I, my body, uh, you know, I changed my diet completely. So um, I, haven't, I haven't officially retired for that moment as well. So And then also... 
not only in the NFL, I've also, you know, considered playing in the XFL too, just because, I, you know, I, I just love the game as well. So, you know, I, I, that would be pretty, that would be a pretty dope thing for you to do if you, you push that, that would be pretty awesome and try to see where that can land us because, you know, I just want to play football. I missed the game. You know, the game's brought a lot to me. But if it doesn't work out, then, you know, I have some plans with the, the company I'm doing, Game 7. But, you know, it's nothing like the game of football. And I know everyone has an expiration date. And, you know, why not try to squeeze out a couple of more years before that one call, um, comes calling for me? Absolutely. Tony, that sounds like a, that sounds like a go. <laughs> it sounds like a challenge to me that I need to immediately start pushing the D.C. Defenders. The XFL draft is 71 rounds. We're going to get you in one of those rounds, Kendall, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the most draft in the history. That's right. Hey, we can we can even call Vince McMahon up and, and see if he, uh, he'll put you wow. in the player pool. Yeah, we'll, we, uh, we just want to see you back playing on the field, Kendall. We... Uh, anything we can do to help, we're we're gonna we're gonna go full force with it, right, Tony? I'm ready to go. I appreciate that. I retweet everything and and, and we post everything I need me to do, man. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, Kendall, you mentioned uh, just a moment ago uh, things you're kind of doing outside of the game of football. Tell us more of what you're up to nowadays, especially with your Game 7 Character Builders organization. Yeah, so um, after I was released, my last stint with the 49ers, it was like a whirlwind that kind of hit me. I didn't know what my purpose was. I wasn't sure, you know, what I wanted to do. I went into depression. I actually went all the way up to 255 pounds. So I just needed to find something I did. I, one thing I always was really good at was co- connecting with people, um, you know, sharing passion for helping people. I've always volunteered in my community. So along with that, my cousin created something called Gang Seven Character Builders based out of D.C. The Gang Seven stands for goal and ambition mean everything. And um, Gang Seven because the sports is you want to go home. You want to live your life. You know, win the day 24-0, win all the day. So the pillars up are organization is mindset uh holistic health which is mental and physical health that's what i tackle and then we also talk about financial literacy and what's really cool is you know the the founder is an educator in the dc public schools district and you know he he told me that he was like a lot of times i'm supposed to teach math but before i can teach math i i I have to teach character lessons i have to teach life lessons so um we realized it's not really that much curriculum in schools right now to do that because as you know after high school it's like all right now you're an adult what the hell do i do so our organization we strive to give people that tool set to achieve what they want create it you know instead of sitting back and and waiting for it so what we do is we go to different schools and organizations and we have something called game days you know where we start off with an introduction then we have positional drills so because all of the you know all the workers in our organization we play college sports at least so we we have it around that you know that sports kind of verbiage so our positional drills that's what we're going to talk about and then we have panels everyone wants to hear about my experience playing football then we talk about relationships character leadership you know just how to break the cycle of um, mental health and things like that so we we just kind of bring a, a whole new curriculum to schools as well as organizations that are that really want to achieve greatness so that's what we do we've 
been an organization for about nine months. We've been to multiple states, worked with multiple schools and organizations. So, and you know, we, we have that going well for us as well. So, if you know any schools or any organizations in Buffalo that, that want to have us out there, feel free to hit us up because we're looking for more people to, to inspire, encourage, and to find their purpose and to attack life because you know life isn't guaranteed and we all have an expiration date so we might as well live our best lives before we get the hell up out of here and inspire people along the way so you know that, that's one thing that I'm very true and really passionate about and, and encouraging people and learning from mistakes that you know we all made through our journeys because there's it, no real playbook to the game of life not experience you know how it comes to you and the decisions that you make and the habits that you make are are very important if you want to have the pillars of the success and have control of everything that you want in your life to really maximize your life while you're out here instead of suffering and living your life not happy and going through the motions. Yeah, that that's awesome, man. That's that sounds like a great organization. I was reading up on it, and you guys are doing awesome things affecting youth of America. And you know, a lot of these kids, I, I saw with my my brother grew up playing AAU basketball, and so many kids have so much talent, and they just need that mentor to kind of just show them the way. And whether it's in the classroom or outside the classroom, I mean, God bless you guys for doing the work you do. So uh, you know, keep on going. We'll we'll be happy to help out any way we can. There's so many influences that kids have, especially kids who are involved in sports and are extremely talented in sports, but they have to battle so many influences that we see every day, for better or for worse. So that's awesome. I love the work that you guys are doing to kind of drive them in the right direction and to make sure that they channel all the different facets of their life in the positive ways, whether it be through like the financial literacy, which uh, can often be overlooked, and the character side of things. It's awesome. Of course, yeah, and that's one thing that goes unnoticed. You know, a lot of people, especially now, you see athletes using their platforms for the greater good. So why not use platform when when we have that? Like you said, uh, the li- life is hard, man. Um, yeah. I'm sure everyone, you know, everyone has something that they're going through, some adversity they need to face, and it's easy to um, kind of get stuck in that, you know, in, in that just circle of life of just doing the same thing over and over again and not going for your dreams so you know we really want to encourage the people to have ambition and drive so they can you know really pursue their actual goals and and not just get caught up in living life and and, and feeling bad for themselves when things don't go their way where can anyone where can any of our listeners or myself find information about game seven character builders or to find more information or to call or to book or whatever yeah um so if what you want to do if i can send you an email or what i can do is you know i'll go slow right now i'll give the website so the listeners can go look it up because hopefully we got some you know educators or even people who just have a business that they they think needs to get a little more off the ground or if you just feel like you need some encouragement in your life we can help you with that yeah so our website is, is www.game the number seven e-v-e-n.com and our instagram is at game the number seven e-v-e-n-c-b character builders and then also my instagram is just kgaskins5 same thing on my twitter so you know we really try to push content out there and, and, and promote people to have lived a great 
in depth lives, man. You know, we got all this information out here. We definitely live in the society where we can get this information needed. Now we just got to trade the habits to go get it. That's awesome. Yeah, and thank you for those links. To, uh, we'll tweet them out as well. So for anyone listening to this podcast, hit those links up and learn more. Kendall, as a final question, we have to ask. During your time in Buffalo, we love our Buffalo food. So we always ask our guests... What was your favorite Buffalo food item? Obviously, Wings is a big one. What was your favorite restaurant? Did you have any of those during your time at Buffalo? Uh, see, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't even there long enough, but I'm a Wings guy. Uh, well, I used to be. I don't really eat meat anymore. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other conversation. But, uh, see, I don't even re- really remember uh, the places because I was just trying to crush food that was free at the facility. Oh, yeah. Save money. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you know what I mean? So, you gotta take advantage. Um, of course. And it wasn't bad food. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't think I may have a question for you. So you can give me another impromptu question since I can't kind of end it off with a, with a question that well, you have well, to answer you, that you want to do. If you're ever in town, hit us up. We'll take you to some, some good good wing places if you like wings or uh, maybe on the healthier side now. <laughs> we'll, we'll, some vegan wings. Yeah, we'll find a good place. So I do think Tony had one super important final question for you. This might be the most important question of the day. Tony, you want to hit him with it? Okay, Kendall. As a Bills fan, you were, you were the first game crush. You were extremely influential in the kind of Bills fan as I evolved from just casual fan into really armchair GM. So it's a really simple question, kind of a softball question. Will you be the godfather of my first franchise? <laughs> you said what? Yes, he, he asked if you would be the godfather of his firstborn child, being his first camp crush. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Come on, sign yeah. up, man. That's a yes. There you go. That's a yes. All right. <laughs> I'll rock with it. All right. I guess that's my girlfriend's got to reflect itself reflecting to do now. That's a, that's a verbal Awesome, awesome. Well, Kendall, I think uh, that's all the questions. We don't want to take up too much of your time. Again, we really, really appreciate you, man, coming on and talking to us, letting us know about your playing career and the platform with uh, Game 7. So um, do you have any questions for us? We're not journalists, so we always like to ask if you have any questions for us. (laughs) No, uh, yeah, so what inspired you guys to go ahead and start this podcast? Oh, that's a good question. I'm a Buffalo sports fan through and through uh, for 33 years now, so... Uh, I always talk about sports with my friends, and so Tony and I and a couple other guys who joined the podcast decided to to one day just kind of start this up, and we started around March, and we kind of grown a little bit of a following, and we have over 200 followers on Twitter now, and just growing every, we've grown over 100 followers in the last month alone, so I mean, hopefully it becomes something, but we just you know, love doing this, and love talking about sports, and love talking to guys like you, and, and just expanding our knowledge, right, Tony? That's how I feel about it. Just to have a creative outlet to channel. Uh, you know, there's obviously my professional life, but I have other interests. So to have a creative outlet to kind of put my sports, to put my love of sports, and to put my love of Buffalo sports out there in a different kind of way. That's not just sitting around the bar with my friends, but 
Uh, for sure for sure awesome well kendall again again thank you thank you so much but we will uh we'll definitely hit you up and uh as a guest you are more than welcome to come on again in the future we we would love to have you back talk about you know whatever you want to talk about we're just we're just again just extremely grateful and appreciative you taking the time to uh talk to a couple guys like us today no problem man i appreciate you you know for you following your passion and going and and doing something that you're really passionate about and not being scared to do it. Absolutely. And not being scared of what, hearing about what people will think about what you're doing. So yeah, that's what it's all about, that's, right? That's a big step in, the, in, in itself. So I appreciate y'all for having me on here. And hopefully we, we can make this a little thing, man. Yeah, yeah. We would love to do that, right, Tony? Yeah, awesome. Sounds great to me. Recurring Thank guests. Thanks so much, Kendall. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kendall. Take care, man. All right, man. Have a good night. All right, you too. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye. Awesome interview with Kendall Gaskins there, and you can be sure Tony is going to hold him to that Godfather title. He only talks about it like all the time. All the time. <laughs> Next up, we have our first ever interview with one of the best cult heroes in Buffalo Bills history, former Bills quarterback and host of Hanging 10 with Hamden, also known as the best media content the Bills have put out to date. Mr. Jabron Hamden, when we were thinking of who we wanted to have that illustrious title of first ever guest of the Witty Not Funny Sports Podcast, the choice for us was an extremely easy one. And after speaking with Jabron and having him be so nice towards a couple of Joe Schmoes who are just starting a podcast, uh, we couldn't have made a better choice. So here he is, Jabron Hamden. Enjoy our first ever interview with the former Bills quarterback. All right, and we're back, and we now welcome to our show on the Subway Fresh Take Hotline our first ever guest, former NFL and Buffalo Bills quarterback, former NFL Europe offensive MVP, now turned high-end fashion designer, uh, Jabron Hamden. Jabron, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Awesome. Matt, Matt and Matt. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you are our first ever interview. So you have NFL career, you have fashion designer, now you have podcast guest. I'm guessing this goes immediately to the top of your career accomplishments, right? <laughs> yes, and the top of my Wikipedia page, as you guys have so uh, casually mentioned. Hey, we got to get the name. We got to get the name out there, right? <laughs> I like it. I thought that was very clever. That was very clever. We got to get the name out there. Any, any kind of uh, thing we can do to help uh, help our brand uh, through you is much appreciated. So, so you're our first I'm guest. Honored too. I'm honored. I'm honored. Wow, that yeah. that's high praise. We really appreciate that. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, so you're our first guest, our first interview. So uh, you know we're gonna probably have a couple hiccups. So excuse excuse the hiccups, but we're gonna roll right along here. So uh, if you're ready, we're ready, and we can get in the questions. What do you say? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So we want to get into your NFL career uh, in a second here, but first I kind of wanted to start with the sports background for the listeners uh, who may not be familiar with uh, how you kind of came about to, to get into your NFL career. So before you entered the NFL, you were a multi-sport athlete, as I read, uh, in high school and college, basketball player, a baseball prospect with the U.S. national team, U-15s, uh, and of course a quarterback. So ultimately, what made you decide to continue to pursue football in Indiana and beyond? Because I know you played baseball at indiana too correct yeah basically the senior my senior year in high school i still hadn't played a competitive year of football and the heir apparent of my high school transferred because that high school had been a triple option team and he was a pro style quarterback 
So that high school was in trouble because they didn't have a quarterback anymore. And they had always seen me throwing a football around lunchtime because <laughs> I love to throw a football. And, and I, was, I was using it as a way to pick up girls, really. <laughs> and they came up to me and they're like, hey, we don't have a quarterback. We're, you know, three or four months away from the season. Will you play? And I had a scholarship for baseball to Indiana already in my back pocket. And I was like, well, definitely not going to run the option. And if right. you guys are willing to throw it a lot, then yeah, I'll play. And, uh, you know, sure enough, they changed the offense. We went to a shotgun, four wide, and I threw it to the other teams a lot more than I threw it to mine. But, <laughs> you know, I was, I was six five and I can throw a football. Always was able to throw a football. And so it, it just caught some college attention. Um, and so then, you know, when, in, when the Indiana baseball coaches found out, they immediately talked to the football guys and was like, Hey, we got this guy on scholarship, but we're going to lose him to probably a full football ride. Will you take a look? And, right. you know, they, they kind of gave me a full ride. So I ended up going to Indiana, played both, sat behind Antoine Randall Antoine Randall for, you know, four seasons and was a four year starter in baseball. And I frankly almost tra- transferred the year, the, the, like two weeks before my senior year because I had gotten beat out by another quarterback. Oh, really? My offense, yeah, my offensive coordinator at the time, Al Borges. He's bounced around. He was in Michigan for a couple of years. Um, he had been UCLA. I went to go tell him I was going to transfer. And, you know, I think 50%, he was trying to keep his backup quarterback. But the other 50%, he looked me dead in the eye and he was like, yo, like I coached a lot of good quarterbacks and you can play. And it wasn't a consensus opinion that you shouldn't have been the starter. So for whatever reason, I stuck around and week three against Utah, the guy that was starting got hurt. And so I got my first taste. And kind of did what I did in high school. Yeah. Three touchdowns, three interceptions, and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's kind of, that's kind of what I did in college. That's great. What were you thinking of transferring to? I should probably, I should probably preface this by saying, uh, I went to Ohio State, so don't hold that against me <laughs> as uh, an Indiana no, guy. Against you. Actually, my, you know, I, I played a really good game that year. There was, it was the national championship year, Craig Crenshaw, right. and those guys. And, you know, we hung with them in the first half. And it was at the big, I was at the shoe. And, you know, I kind of played really well in the first half. And I think the score was like tied at the, I can't remember exactly. But then I remember we come out in the second half and I threw like a 50 yard bomb, hit the guy in stride and he dropped it. He was a super reliable receiver. Just, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, he dropped it. And it was as if Ohio State was like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we got to we got to and I think they ended up scoring 40 on us. So, um, yeah. But yeah, I almost transferred to like, uh, gosh, it was East Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. The Carolina. Pirates. The Pirates, yeah. The Pirates. <laughs> yeah, that that's great. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, it, it's amazing what, you know, athletic prowess can do in this day and age. And yeah. So when you were seventh round draft pick of the Washington Redskins, we just had the NFL draft here recently. Can you tell us about your draft day experience, you know, what you were doing the day of, and, and what was that moment like when you got the call from the Redskins? Yeah, it was comical because, you know, I didn't get invited to the Combine or any anything like that, and I basically only had two workouts. I had my pro day at Indiana, and then the Redskins, because I grew up in D.C., had like a local pro day for, you know, any crews or, you know, prospects that had grown up around them. I guess it's 50 miles away mm-hmm. from the facility. And so I got invited to that, and frankly, I was the only quarterback that showed up because Byron Leftwich was the other one that got invited, but he was going to be a first-round pick, right. and the Skins didn't even have a first-rounder. So Steve Sp- 
Spurrier, who yes, I Spurrier. <laughs> uh, Spurrier was the head coach. And if you go back like three months, I actually was living in Indianapolis working out because I went to IU and my agent was there. And my agent, this was back in the day when you could sit in the lobby of the hotel and like just pester coaches when they came down for a beer. <laughs> and that's what, the, that's what the agents used to do. They would just sit in the lobby and pester different coaches, you know, about their players that yeah. might have not have been a combine. Really? So my agent was like, yo, just come sit in the bar and when Spurrier or somebody we know walks up, just go talk to him because you can like talk. Right. I was like, all right, cool. So I'm driving to the hotel. It's like huge snowstorm. I spin out, in fact, <laughs> and I almost turned around, but I'm like, ah, I'm just going to keep going. So sure enough, Spurrier walks down and I go introduce myself to him because my agent's like heckling me to do it. And he obviously had no clue who I was, had never heard of me. And basically all I got out was like, oh, I'm coming to the workout. You know, I'll be there. Yeah. He's like, oh. he's like, all right, son, I'll see you there. <laughs> and he was like, this is some creeper. Like... And so sure enough, I show up to this workout and it's like a hundred guys, you know, all way more accomplished than me sitting in this like meeting room. And Spurrier walks in like 10 minutes early and he's like, hey, is Gibron here yet? And I'm like, oh, damn. I was like, I raised my hand. Everybody's looking around. He's like, come into my office. I'm like, oh, dang, I'm getting kicked out already. Like, you know, what I do is straight, it's like straight out of the scene on a major league, you know? Right. Like, oh, I didn't even make it to the freaking workout. So I walk into his office and he's like, hey, I didn't even know who you were, but then you came up to me at the bar and I started watching your tape. And you're not very good, but you can throw. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I like guys that can throw. And so basically what happened was since no other quarterback showed up, I had to throw close to like 600 to 700 throws that day. Wow. Because they had 10, they had 20 receivers, 15 running backs, right. tight ends. And uh, we go out there and all the position coaches are working with their guys, but Spurrier really didn't care about any other position besides quarterback. And so he was basically coaching me the whole time. And I had no preconceived notions about what to do. So he told me, hey, put that ball by your ear. I was like, you know how the Florida quarterbacks used to do it. Yeah, I did it in five seconds. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll be coachable here. And by the end of the workout, Noah Brindice, who was the quarterback coach, came up to me. He's like, what did you just do? I'm like, nothing. I just threw. You know, I look good <laughs> without pads on. And he's like, I cannot, I don't understand what's happening, but Spurrier is going to draft you now. Like, whatever you did, I'm like, okay. <laughs> so anyway, that's a long story, but the draft story goes, uh, you know, my agent was like, yo, if Spurrier calls, just tell him that all these teams are wanting to draft you. Yeah. And I was like, I don't really feel comfortable with that, blah, blah, blah. But sure enough, like, I, I can't remember, it was like the night, at the end of day one, because it was only two days back then, the Houston Texans called, and they had an early pick in the fifth round. And they were like, we like you. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so they had their security guy call me, and they did a background check. I mean, it got real serious. And like, they were like, oh, the Palmer, Chris Palmer, I think was head coach, he's like, yeah, we're going to take you tomorrow. I'm like, what? <laughs> and this was like late first round and Spurrier calls. And I'm like, so, you know, I didn't want to, of course, didn't want, I didn't lie to him. He's like, yo, so what's going on? I'm like, uh, the Texans just called. He's like, oh, no, no, not going to happen. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, a guy named Dave Ragone, who I ended up playing later on in NFL Europe, got dropped out of the third round, which is where... And then they called me the next day and were like, oh, we didn't expect we're going to drop. We had him raise the higher than you were taking him. 
So they took him, but then the seventh round pick came up and Spurrier called me on my cell phone. And I think the funniest part of the whole story is like Spurrier couldn't pronounce my name. So he would just call me. He, he asked me at the end of that workout in DC, like, can I just call you Gibbet? And I was like, sure. I literally said to him in one of those moments when you look back on your I'm like, I was like, Coach Burger, if you drop me, you can call me whatever you want. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he made him laugh. So he called me up. He's like, hey, get it. We just dropped you. <laughs> um, and, so, you know, and then my immediate experience after that was I was watching TV and Chris Fowler, one of those guys, comes on and just, like, trashes me because Ken Dorsey hadn't been drafted. And so he was basically like, can you imagine if you're Ken Dorsey, like, four-year starter at Miami, like, national, national championship, championship and all yeah. this stuff? And this guy, Gibran Hamden, like, got drafted. You know, like, just basically taking a crap on me. And, like, I was like, you know, my parents were there, and they're like, what is that guy doing? I'm like, oh, I guess welcome to the welcome to the world of professional football. Yeah, welcome you know, to the league. So when, yeah, so when Steve opinion. Spurrier told you you're not very good, did your heart kind of sink as a 21, 22-year-old kid? No, I don't think I'm very good in general all the time. <laughs> I mean, I walk around like, you know, I, I'm like a split thing where I don't think I'm as good as I probably was or am and at the same time have a lot of confidence you know I, I got personality tests a lot in the NFL by coaches and stuff yeah uh, mostly quarterback coaches and the funny thing they always found out was like the psychi- psychologist or everything come back and say he's super weird because he's like if he's put in the position to start or be the leader He's going to do great. Like, he's a badass and he's going to, like, you know, live up to it. But if he's, like, the backup in a room, he's going to be, like, totally supportive of the starter. And it was this weird thing because I was always in these quarterback rooms with all these A-type guys. Right. You know, and the coach was an A-type guy. The players were A-type guys. And I was this guy that, like, could just mold, you know, and and that was proven when I went to Europe. You know, I went to Europe. I was the starter. And I won the MVP, yeah. you know, I, you know, broke records over there, but then you come back and you're the backup and I would just sit in the corner of the room and support whoever the starter was and try to make them better. So, you know, it's kind of a weird thing. And I think that that's exactly what I felt when Spurrier told me I sucked. It was like, yeah, I probably suck a little bit and I'm probably pretty decent. I mean, somewhere in the middle is pretty much, I think what reality is for like everyone really, you know, you go far along enough and there's like 15 quarterbacks better than you. And you go backwards enough, and there's 15 quarterbacks you're better than. And that's pretty much the case for every quarterback, except for, you know, probably Tom Brady. Yeah, probably. A couple other guys, a handful of elite quarterbacks, right? Yeah, and and just wait and wait 20 years, and there'll be 15 better quarterbacks than Tom Brady. Exactly, yeah. I hope so. I mean, it's all perspective. (laughs) Yeah, as long as as he stops beating the Bills, we're we're, we're good with that. So you mentioned NFL Europe. Your career's kind of taken you all over the world. Uh, you, you started in Washington. You've been with Seattle and the Bills, obviously. And you ended in the CFL for a little bit. With so many other sports having better global branding, soccer, basketball, um, when you played in NFL Europe, did you feel like the game was well-received overseas? Uh, no. It, it, it's a, I would answer that two ways. One, I would say that the fans that were into it loved it. Okay. Um, they were really supportive. Like the Amsterdam fans were incredible. I mean, I got invited to people's houses for dinner. Oh, nice. uh, they'd, be, they'd be buying me beers after the game. So on that standpoint, I think the fan base and the, the humans over there that were like following the sport were incredible. I think on the flip side, um, and now being like a soccer fan myself, I think the game is 
too it was too different from what they were used to right um mm-hmm. and then in, in addition the stops and the you know the the slowing down between plays it just it, it lacked the ability to catch the imagination and you know it's a very american sport you know it just yeah. is I mean, you know, even the athletes that would go over there, like the, the teammates of mine, I'd be like, guys, like, you know, you can easy jet from Amsterdam to Paris for like 29 bucks. <laughs> like, this shit is, this is dope. Like, this experience you're having is dope, right? Yeah. But most, you know, most of, most of my teammates were, you know, it's about getting that game film, getting the contract, touches, carries, catches, and that's fine. I mean, I, I don't belittle them or begrudge them for looking at it that way. Mm-hmm. But, Fans over there are used to, you know, a different kind of sport, basically. You know, a, a sport that just keeps moving and less time out and all that stuff. So it, it was really hard, I think, I think for the NFL to, to kind of go. You know, I think what's happening now, which is you're seeing some talented people that grew up in other countries that have the skill and ability make it into the league. I think that's more of a realistic thing that's going to happen rather than, oh, the game's going to get popular in all these other countries. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily foresee that. Yeah, we've seen that uh, recently with the Jaguars playing their games in England and kind of getting a lukewarm reception. The Bills tried the Canada thing and that didn't go over so great, especially around the area. So it's interesting. It's definitely a different game in soccer. I'm a soccer player myself, so I know how different the sports are and uh, how people watch them and play them. So that's interesting. But I wanted to move into your time with the Bills. We're big Bills fans uh, all our lives here. So yeah, so. Uh, we were curious, you know, we, we want to talk about your time with the Bills here. One of our favorite pieces of content on the Bills website during your time was, was definitely hanging 10 with Hamden. Gotcha. <laughs> um, I remember I used to watch every week. Uh, so who had the idea for the show? How did you prepare? Um, we, we read that you attended a broadcaster's boot camp in 2009. So did it stem from there? And then, um, who was the most interesting or like the funniest guy on the team? Great question. Yeah. So I went to the broadcast boot camp and I did, you know, actually pretty well there, um, to the point where I, you know, I had had some, got some offers afterwards. And I, I guess I came back and the marketing guys had the idea for it and they kind of pitched it to me based on you know the film that i'd shown them from that boot camp and i thought it was a great idea i was a little reluctant because you know every year i was just trying to make the team uh especially as a third quarterback and i was just like you know and going back to what i said about my personality and trying to be amicable and things like it would been totally different now but back then i was younger I was like, oh, is this going to, like, make me look bad with the coaches or, you know, whatever. Right. And then eventually I just decided, you know, okay, like, and I talked to Dick Jerron about it. And, you know, I talked to Alex Van Pelders, my quarterback coach, like, hey, I'm going to do this. and It's not going to take up that much time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were down and they were cool. And so uh, I think I started with Derek Schumann. He was the first interview. <laughs> Schumann. Oh, Derek Schumann. Yeah. Boise Derek State. Schumann. <laughs> you know, Schumann was great. It got my feet wet a little bit, and then basically what started happening was I was realizing like Marshawn wasn't get wasn't doing any interviews <laughs> with anybody, and he wasn't giving anybody no burn like when they'd ask questions and stuff. So Rand, you know, Marshawn and I had this like interesting relationship. I think it started because I was wearing number ten, and that's what he wore in college. Yeah. So like we immediately like had that banter back and forth, but you know, I, I just always understood Marshawn. You know, like I got it. Like I immediately like got it like, <laughs> were you one of the few 
Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like I just got it. Cause like, it just makes sense. Right. Like, Marshawn, the human made sense to me. <laughs> so I just went up to him one day. I was just like, yo, I know you won't give anybody else any burn, but I think it'd be kind of funny if like I got the first interview and he was like, Oh yeah, that's good. Let's do that. <laughs> and so before you know it, like I'm sitting there and like, I'm interviewing Marshawn. And the funny thing is like, it's like the media had actually, you know, and they got lots of things to do. So I'm not like blaming them, but if they watched that first interview I did with Marshawn, it's like, there were real questions, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah. like it was like real questions about his background and growing up in Oakland and like stuff that like matters to Marshawn. Right. And mm-hmm. so Marshawn was more than happy to talk about it and like open up about it because like he saw that there was going to be value from him answering the question. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and at that time, and I don't know what it is like now, cause I don't really pay attention, but like, it seemed like the media was always just trying to get these sound bites. And it's like, when you do that, when you're always just trying to get a sound bite and the athlete is going to be like, yo, what, what's in it for me? You know, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just a fact. Yeah. It's like, what, what's the value add for me? If I'm not going to bring light to the circumstances that I went through growing up, or if I can't paint a picture of the reason I am the way I am because of my background so that the fans can better understand me, then why am I talking to you? <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm going to give you the, the practice was good and my body feels fine answer every time because we got a sense like, and it wasn't all media, but you know, a large majority, it's like they're popping in after practice, locker rooms open, like here's like eight, you know, questions that I wrote up and I'm just trying to get some sound bites. Right. You know, so I, so I think that that, I think the interview with Marshawn was great. And then we ended up doing this weird, like he thought he was better swimmer than Kyle Williams. And I was kind of like on the, I just like randomly said, okay, like, well, don't talk about it, be about it. And then like, we had to do another episode. And I went to Kyle, who I was friends with. And Kyle was like, oh yeah, I'll beat him in a race. And I was like, oh, this shit is going to be fun. I remember this. And so <laughs> we put him in that tiny pool at the Bills facility. And sure enough, Kyle can swim like no one's business. So I'd say that that was like the funnest, you know, interview was just the fact that like, I got Marshawn to talk. Yeah. And then it turned into like a two-part interview. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's impressive considering Marshawn famous for doing a whole interview segment saying I just don't want to get fined right yeah, exactly. on the media yeah, so, exactly. so for you to get any information out of them is you know, pretty it's impressive funny, it's, it's really funny because it would have been funny if and I was I live in Seattle now and I, you know I wasn't paying attention to that mode but like you know people that would come into my shop or whatever be like oh Marshawn doesn't talk to media I'm like yeah when was the last time I'm someone from the media like asked him a, a relevant question about something that he cares about right yeah, you know? so, like as an icebreaker like imagine if you're at a party and somebody just comes up to you and basically asks you questions for 20 minutes and all of them are to fulfill some sort of self-reasoning decision or right. I don't even know what I'm trying to say but you know what I'm saying like yeah. you got to have a little banter you got to give the other person something to talk about right. too yeah. you know yeah and definitely. it just was it was sorely lacking at the time so. so did Hanging 10 with Hamden, did that kind of stem from you looking at your post-career and, and what you wanted to do? Or did you want to do something with the media or marketing? Yeah, yeah. I thought it would been. I thought it was going to be good to get some film, you know, just like my football career, frankly, just to get some tape because, you know, it was obvious that I just wasn't going to get the shot in the NFL like I'd always wanted to. You know, and I'm, not, I'm no dummy. You know, I'd play the end of preseason and I'd play well enough to, like, make it on the team. But, you know, if somebody got hurt, it was never like they were going to trot me out there. And I don't know why, but it just was that, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you and, and that, I'm yeah. looking back, and looking back, to be honest, it's like, and that, 
I were talking about how we met and like he thought I was a really nice guy and all that stuff. Like <laughs> looking back, if I did my career all over again, I would have recognized like how much of it, how much your image plays into, you know, especially at the quarterback position, how yeah. much your image plays into who they trot out there. Right. And so based on my personality and, you know, the kind of person I was to other people, it was always like, Oh, Jabron's the nice guy. <laughs> You know, and so, you know, it's just like, there's really, that's not an image that the team really like wants to trot out on the field. You know? Right. And like, there were a couple young quarterbacks that, you know, I got cut for along the way that, you know, looking back, I actually had longer careers then. Yeah. You know, when, when all the dust settled, you know, the guys that when you looked at the full career, like I had a longer career in whatever I was doing, granted not playing, but, and it's funny that those guys got start, you know, and looking back and you're like, oh, why did that guy get a start? And I didn't, you know, I won an MVP in Europe and things like that. And you realize it's like a lot of it has to do with at that position, what kind of image you could curate. Yeah, I, I think, I think, but, uh, I think me and Matt were talking about this previously. You're, you're kind of a cult hero around these parts. I mean, we, there was kind of a dark time in, at least in the fan base perspective of quarterbacks. We had Trent have little success and JP was a high pick. So you were always there in the mix. And, you know, what, what could, what could Jabron do if he went out there? Yeah. It, it was always I, a big what if. <laughs> it was a big what if, you know, and it never got answered, and, and I'm fine with that. But anyway, so I, I was getting the film from the broad, the hanging ten with Hamden to try to beef up my reel, and then you know the craziest thing happened. I mean, I I like I had a couple offers for some like regional TV things, and somebody got me in touch with like a big time agent in New York City because. They're like, oh, you need an agent. Like, coming away from broadcast boot camp, I showed up. They didn't know who I was. There was a lot of popular, like, famous guys there. And uh, and then, like, afterwards, like, people from CBS and NBC are like, oh, call this agent. Like, you need an agent. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so I called him. This was, like, after I got cut by the bills and then came back. And then, like, you know, basically it was, like, my career was over. And I called this agent, and he, like, watched my reel and stuff. And he basically said in not so many words, that he was worried about my ethnicity. And, you know, my father's from Palestine, my mom's from Pakistan. I mean, I dealt with it, like, in the league and growing right. up, whatever. But, like, I, you know, I, ne- I never, like, cared. Like, I don't care. Right. Um, I literally don't care. <laughs> because, like, I, you know, talk about minorities. Like, I was the minority in every situation. Right. You know? I mean, you were, name uh, another Pakistani-Palestinian quarterback or anything in the NFL. You were the so, first... You know, the, Pakistani quarterback in the league, right? Of Pakistani descent. Yeah, well, I'm half Pakistani, half half Pakistani, half Palestinian. So. Yes, I'm the first. And uh, you know, the black guys will always give me a hard time. They're like, Javon, you are the biggest minority. Like, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you, how are you doing this? So anyway, but the, he brought up my ethnicity, and it was actually in like a caring way. He was like, I'm just worried that like you're going to put in a lot of time here and a lot of you know effort into your career, and that you know that's going to hold you back. And it's the first time, like, anybody had vocalized it to me. He actually said, I can get you a six-figure job if you're willing to go to a war zone right now. And that's basically why I didn't go into TV, is because, like, I had that conversation with the agent. I was huh. like, oh, this is, this is uh, you know, it's not kind of how I want to live my life. Yeah, I can imagine, um, yeah. And so, at the same time, I was sewing shirts. And I was like, okay, I'll just do the shirts thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's, that's what happened. So... Talking about kind of what you wanted to do in life post-career, tell us about Jabron.com, your marketing, your fashion designing. Tell, tell us about what you're doing nowadays. 
Uh, well, I started after the career. I started AliAlfatal.com, which turned out to be a menswear brand. Yeah. And it was uh, caught on in the golf industry. And I sponsored a PGA Tour golfer for a while. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and, you know, it had some success. I think, you know, I'm, it's still kind of out there. The big hard, the hard part is that I went all 100% American made. And, you know, while I got a great loyal customer base, largely because it was like quality products, and mm-hmm. American made, like I said, you know, you just can't compete really in the fashion industry if you're going 100% American made. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You're just going to get your butt handed to you because people are making stuff for a quarter of the price. Exactly. And the consumer, the consumer's appetite to pay more in reality when they are about to hit the checkout button, the appetite just isn't quite there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I found out it was more like they love to talk about it at dinner parties, like, oh, American made, I want to buy American made. But if they had a choice between, you know, uh, my $95 Ollie Alpha Tall polo or a, you know, $50 Nike polo, they're going to go Nike every day of the week. Right. Granted, you know, and I'd have my own customers being like, yeah, you know, we're going to, um, go with the cheaper. And I don't, I don't begrudge them for doing that, but that's just the reality, uh, in fashion. And over the years, I've just taught myself a lot of the other parts of marketing and design and art in terms of all the computer programs like Illustrator and things like that. Mm-hmm. And randomly got hired by somebody to do their branding for a coffee bag because he had heard I was an artist and heard about me through a friend and I delivered it to him. And this other company, design company, had been charged, had charged him a bunch of money for a logo that he wasn't happy with. And I'll never forget it. Yes, I'm like, oh, so are you going to send me mood boards and all this kind of stuff? Like, how are you going to design this coffee bag and logo and branding? I'm like, bro, I'm going to the grocery store Tuesday morning to do my grocery shopping. I'm going to stand in front of the coffee aisle for about 10 minutes and I'll look at all the coffee bags. <laughs> and I'm going to go, how can I make yours look awesome compared to all this other stuff? Right? Right. And he's like, okay. And, and I hadn't delivered anything to him and he kind of like gave me this like, okay, dude, we'll yeah. see what happens <laughs> right. here. And sure enough, you know, my first design that I sent him in the coffee bag, he's like blown away and, you know, I basically finished the job for him and now, you know, he's having quite a bit of success with the brand. Um, and so I was just like, oh, maybe this is a place to go where I'm just not necessarily boxing myself into only designing fashion or clothes. I'm just kind of doing art and seeing what happens. I mean, and the reality is, it's kind of like what I said about being quarterback. I'm not the best artist. I'm not the worst artist. And I work hard, but I'm more focused on just hanging with my kids because they're cool. So, you know, I suck at marketing. Uh, <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> well, I do. I suck at marketing myself. I'm uh, pretty good once I get a job to like help somebody else. But it's very you know, organized. I, I, don't, I, I don't have the appetite to pound the pavement necessarily to tell everybody that they should hire me for a logo job. And so I just basically sit back and try to do great work and try to hope that that gets passed along. Uh, so far, so good. You know? So we'll see. Awesome. Yeah, that's a unique path. Um, I'm actually curious. Having played in the NFL and now you're a fashion designer, uh, the social scene, which one do you prefer and are they different outside, you know, when you're at parties or conventions with um, the fashion brand versus going out and partying, so to say, with uh, the NFL crowd? You know, the the NFL, the, I, I think the, it's hard because the NFL crowd, I always loved my teammates. I always thought it was such a unique experience that I could be sitting at lunch and there's like Kirk Chambers from Utah sitting to my left and Roscoe Parrish from Miami sitting to my right. And we're all just like <laughs> chopping it up. Right. And I yeah. always thought that that was incredible. You know, I mean, you just don't get that in society. You know, you just don't get that, 
diversity that you can find in the NFL. Now, on the flip side, uh, largely, uh, unfortunately, what happens is that like uh, the conversations tend to be more monolithic in the NFL and in sports, and that people are just like super focused on sports because that's what they kind of grew up doing. You know, they all kind of grew up being specialized in sports or being good at sports or having a you know a lot of opinions based around sports. So sometimes, and not necessarily with teammates, but I just say conversations in general. Like teammates, we would always have like crazy conversations. But when you got in an environment where the social situation, mostly everybody wanted to talk to you about sports or right. something with sports. You know, it's like it was really hard for me to like talk to somebody about you know uh, politics or you know what the latest museum was showing. But right. it's like we're not expecting you to talk about that. Like we want to talk to you about like those routes you're running and you know this stuff. So, so in social situations, athletes are kind of sometimes it's hard because they expect everything to be a monolithic conversation about athletics. Right. Um, in fashion, it's kind of like the opposite. Like everybody you talk to is like, it's all artsy and cool and you can talk about all this cool stuff, but the inclusion and the diversity just isn't there. You know, really? like, interesting. Like, I mean, it is, but not like the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just not the same. You know, it's not the same in terms of like fact that, again, I'll bring up Roscoe and Kirk Chambers and we're all playing on the same team and we're like playing together and moving things together in fashion. While there might be diverse figures, they're all, everyone's like kind of like an individual. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't breed that same diversity feeling, so to speak. But, you know, you get to talk, you talk about a lot of other things, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's definitely cool. And two two different worlds i'm guessing right there so um i think finally we want to ask you and again appreciate the time so much Lebron, um today uh finally want to ask you uh about food we're big food people we, <laughs> we did a food draft one of our uh, buffalo food draft one of our past episodes so um matt is actually from san diego or lived in san diego and i always say he's from san diego but he lived in san diego and buffalo so i know you have the same experience so i think you wanted to ask you what your favorite food is yeah, I had to ask you, you know, I know you obviously spent a lot of time in San Diego and uh, spent some time here in Buffalo. So which city do you think has the better food? And is there a specific item or restaurant in, in both cities that you have a favorite? Like, you know, in San Diego, is it like a specific burrito place? Maybe you're here. Is it like a favorite wings place? I got to be honest with you. I mean, I think San Diego wins in the food department. Oh, because yeah. I'm... <laughs> All right, Joe, well, nice talking to you. <laughs> I'm a huge, like, you know, Mexican food fan. And I thought Buffalo, you know what? You know what it is? Here's what I'd say. I'd say, like, the food trucks and the just, like, go get a quick bite. San Diego definitely wins. Okay. I'd say Buffalo, Buffalo had some positives in that there were, like, some nice dining experiences where there were, like, chefs doing some, like, really cool things and, like, working really hard to, like, you know, do really fancy meals. I'm just not like a fancy meal person <laughs> so that that didn't like move the needle for me in buffalo i will say that wegmans in buffalo <laughs> yep is still the greatest grocery store i've ever been to <laughs> unmatched right and it's like it's unmatched it's like you know it's other it's like another level that place right so the, the i mean and, you know i don't know if that that's not really commenting on buffalo food necessarily but that wegmans it's it's pretty remarkable. So that's my answer. I'm sorry for all the Buffalo people that like don't love me anymore because I said that. <laughs> but like, 
They keep it real, and now he's going to go on message boards and say Javon sucks. He should have never been on the team. And we can we can just yeah. edit we can just edit it out and make it seem like no, you, no, you no, really no, do love Buffalo. No, 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 don't edit it out. Listen, I'm an authentic person, and I think that's largely why people like me. So absolutely, you know, keep keep this shit in. It's all staying in. And you guys better win a championship in the next three years on that rookie deal, otherwise. You know, oh, good luck. We're, the rest of the NFL. We're just hoping we win one before we leave this earth yeah. at this point. Just one. <laughs> just one. We have a t-shirt around here. I don't know if it was around when you played, but it was. It says, uh, just one before I die. It's like the championship. And, oh, I like that one. Yeah, right? Okay. So that, that's a popular t-shirt around these parts. So um, I think that's all the questions we had for you. Like I said, I, I know you're busy, so we, we really do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, do you have any questions for us, I guess, as Big J journalists here? <laughs> no, I don't. Perfect. I don't. Well, that, that makes it easy for us then. So, uh, with that, we'll end the interview. Jabron, thank you. Thank you so much again. We really do appreciate Thanks. it. We really, pre- um, really appreciate it. And our first interview, you are top of our power rankings in terms of interviews we've had. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. So, you, you will stay. I want you know. I definitely want to stay in the top five. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll we'll tweet you out the link for the episode uh, or email it to you. We'll we'll let you know, and uh, you know, hopefully we can uh, we can keep in touch. We can get you on in a future episode. I think that'd be great. Thank you again to Jabron Hamden, first ever guest. Again, couldn't have made a better choice. Humble, down earth, cool, nicest guy ever. Awesome, awesome interview with Jabron, and uh, we'd love to have all these guys back on one day here. But let's wrap it up. Hope you enjoyed this kind of different episode of the Waiting Not Funny Sports Podcast. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming next week, talking about the Packers game, bringing you those Waiting Not Funny segments you all love. But let's wrap it up tonight. Thank you to our sponsor, as always, Traveling Growler. You've been with us from the beginning. www.travelinggrowler.com. Koozies start at just $5. Awesome designs. Check out the website. Shop local, support local. The holidays are coming up. It's a great stocking stuffer for your loved ones. www.travelinggrowler.com. T shirt store, teespring.com. Also, bibfanshop.com. You can find our t shirts. Support the podcast. Uh, buy a Witty Not Funny t shirt. Also, a great gift for the Bills fan in your life. All cool designs. Uh, we're 90s kids. We like to play off pop culture and nostalgia. So, a lot of movie references, video game references, TV show references, superhero. But teespring.com, search Witty Not Funny. All one word. That's the place where you can find all our apparel, not just t shirts, but crew necks, hoodies, tanks, long sleeve shirts. So support the podcast at teespring.com. Where to find the podcast, you can find the podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network every single week at Built in Buffalo underscore Spotify, iTunes, wherever your fine podcasts are listened to for free. You can find us by searching Built in Buffalo, by searching Witty Not Funny, all one word. If you like us, leave a review, subscribe on those podcast channels, on the YouTube page, on the Facebook page built-in buffalo show us some love we always like to say whether you give us two minutes or two hours of your time we greatly appreciate it so thank you to all the listeners twitter handles you can find the podcast at witty sports 716 twitter instagram witty not funny sports facebook tiktok give us a follow we love connecting with the buffalo sports community out there 
again, thank you to everyone who's followed us. If you haven't yet, hit that follow button and get in on the silliness that is Winning Up Funny Sports Podcast. That's all I have. If we had sending an off message or a going away message, Tony would probably say something super educational to uh, motivate you for this upcoming Sunday night game against the Packers, a big game. Eric Rodgers, he's going to be motivated to not to not be in that that conversation of his like we are having with Tom Brady of is this the end? One of the greats of all time, Aaron Rodgers, going against maybe the greatest team in the league currently in the Buffalo Bills should be awesome. But we'll be back next week with our regular stuff. Uh, thank you all for listening. I always like to say, go Bills, go Sabers, and of course, stay witty out there, everyone. Thanks for listening. Peace. Bye. Later. Sean is a fresher breath there. He just loved chain restaurants. Matter of fact, he ate at Applebee's 12 times during the bye week. I love each and it. Most of you guys. That really is still swollen, isn't it? It's still it, swollen. It, it kind of looks like a football, actually. It, Thank you for that. Stitching you guys. Thank you. Hey, D, I like donuts, baby. Let's go. Uh, stay focused. Um, work hard in school. You might not like school, but make sure you're working hard at school. It builds a bomb. It builds a bomb. It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to the Witty Not Funny Sports Podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network.